Well, what a beautiful time of, of worship. Thank you guys so much for leading us so beautifully. I hope you guys know how much of a privilege and blessing it is to have a community led by such gifted people in worship who do it purely for the glory of God and not for themselves. It, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing. Oh man, well this morning we are starting a new series and I am incredibly excited about this. It is called Elephant Hunting. Uh, we're dealing with the elephants in the room in our culture. Um, so we're dealing with some of the things that are pressing, some of the things that are controversial, some of the things that affect all of our lives. Before we dive into this series though, there are a couple of things I think we need to agree on as a community before we even turn to the word this morning. Here's the first one. No matter what, at some point during this series, you are going to be uncomfortable. I promise. I'm going to be uncomfortable. We are all going to be uncomfortable at some point because we're going to be dealing with difficult topics. So here's the first thing we need to agree on. It's that even if the topic we're dealing with that week doesn't necessarily affect your life, we agree that the truth is for me even if the topic doesn't affect me. So rather than sitting here and thinking, man, my friend really needs to hear this sermon, we ask the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to receive from this truth. All right, can we agree on that? All right, that's the easy one. The second one's the hard one. The second one is that if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, that we need to decide first that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God get our yes, even if we don't like it. Now, let me be clear, that doesn't mean I get your yes. That doesn't mean that somebody up here teaching gets your yes. But that means that when the word is proclaimed and you're like, oh, I hated that. Or that made me really uncomfortable. That rather than saying, I'm not sure I agree, you say, I'm going to make sure that's what scripture says. And then when that is, or if that is what scripture says, you say, I already decided to obey. Because obedience is the mark of spiritual maturity, not knowledge. Amen? All right. So our topic this morning, the first one is social media. I hope you are all super excited. I posted on Instagram just to prepare for this. So Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your apps or whatever you're using there. Um, you can use the Bible app to post about this on social media if you just want to be really on the nose this morning. That's great. While you're turning there, the book of Colossians is a book written by Paul. Paul was one of the first missionaries, if not the first missionary, at least in the way we think of it. He spent really most of his life as a follower of Jesus, planting churches and proclaiming the gospel all over Southeast Asia and the Middle East and parts of Europe. And he wrote letters to churches that he had planted or to churches that he had influenced or churches that he had heard about. And he wrote those letters to deal with issues that were relevant in those churches or to explain truths that they needed to understand in order to follow Jesus correctly. So that's what we're looking at. This text is written to a community of people. It's written to a community of people who are living life together, who are choosing to be family together, who are holding each other accountable and are walking in the way of Jesus together. So when we're reading this, we are reading this together. All right? Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, 
not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear, you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are here for you. We are here to be like you, to be formed like you. I and we lay down our assumptions, our perceptions. We want to receive your truth. We want to be formed by you this morning. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, your faithful presence with us. Amen. So my son, who is five, just started t-ball, which as a highly competitive dad is ideal. Really just like reliving all of my, uh, my failures, not really accomplishments and competition through him. He's five and he's playing t-ball, which means it is controlled chaos and it is not terribly controlled. Um, but here's what's important if you want to know anything about my son playing t-ball. It's that um, even though Jen and I, you know, he's got 50% of each of our DNA, when it comes to focus, he is all me and no gen, which means that he wants to focus exactly as much as it takes to not get in trouble and absolutely no more. He wants to focus exactly as much as it takes to get the job done and then be completely, completely distracted. Jen is the total opposite. She is all in. She's all there, completely present in everything that she's doing while he and I are like chasing butterflies together, doing something else. So Tuesday, this past Tuesday, he was playing t-ball and he gets up, he's got his helmet on. I don't know why they wear helmets in t-ball, but he's got his helmet on and he goes up and he hits the ball and my boy hit the ball good. I'm just saying. I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not saying the big leagues are in his future. I'm just saying. He hit the ball good. He runs to the base, and he gets, I mean, it was great. I'm like over there, yeah, just way overdoing it. And then 
it's t-ball. So it takes a while to go from one batter to the other because every time a kid goes up to bat, they forget what a bat is and how to stand and where to point and everything. So the coach has to show them all over again. And Josie, Josiah, is very distracted. He's standing there on the base, and he's got his helmet. He's pulling it down over his eyes. He's looking up to see if they bat yet. And he's going, pulling it down over his eyes. He's looking around. And he's peeking back around to see if they bat yet. He's going the other way. And peeking back around, like I said, just enough to not get in trouble. He wants to know when the ball gets hit, but he does not want to have to commit to paying attention to the game. So the good thing is he noticed when the next kid hit the ball. The bad news is he didn't notice which way he was running. (laughs) So he started running right towards home base. Almost knocked the kid over instead of running to second. And I am once again probably overdoing it, trying not to like be way too intense and scream over a bunch of five-year-olds, the other way! And finally, he gets turned around. He goes to second base. Everything's good. You know, a couple RBIs, just racking up the stats. But uh, they change. He He gets ready to go to the outfield. And... He gets his glove and his water and his hat, and I'm over here. I'm talking to him. I'm like, all right, buddy, you got to get your head in the game. All right, you got to pay attention. you got to pay attention to the game. you got to get your mind in the game. Focus on the ball. Don't you take your eye off that ball, all right? Like I said, I'm a little intense with this. But uh, they don't keep score, but I know who wins, and it's my kid. My kid wins. Not the team. My kid's going to win. Um, <laughs> so he goes out to second base, and here's the thing. He started doing it. He was paying attention. He was focused. I mean, as focused as a five-year-old with 50% of me in him can be. But he was pretty focused. And he's watching the ball, and the ball gets hit, and he runs over to the ball and does what every five-year-old does, which is not get in proper fielding position, even though we practice it all the time. He doesn't get in proper fielding position. He slaps the ball with his glove and just piles up on it. Problem was, he piled up on the ball right in between second and third base, and there had been a runner on second base. So he jumps onto the ball right about the time the runner falls over him. So I hear immediately, and if you're a parent, you can tell the difference between I'm embarrassed cry and I'm in pain cry and I want attention cry, right? It starts off with that real I'm in pain cry, right? So I go out there and I pick him up and I see that he got a cleat on his hand. He got stepped on. He's crying. He's upset. Once again, he's 50% me, which means he cares way too much what people think about him. So then he started noticing that people saw that he was crying, and that made it even worse. So he was crying even more. And people were coming over to him and saying, can I get you some ice? Do you want a snack? Are you okay, buddy? Every other kid on the team came and checked on him. It was adorable. Um, but every time somebody comes, he's just like, ah, and just louder. <laughs> finally, the game's over just a few minutes later, and we can't get him calmed down. I'm like, all right, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm just going to take you to the car. And one of the kids comes over and says, Josie, would you like a donut? And he goes, uh <laughs> So we put him down by the donuts, and this little girl on his team, Camille, hands him a donut. And this is what it was like. If he's got the donut in his hand, it's like, ah! Crying over. Just immediately, it was like the donut just completely took away all negative emotions and replaced them with joy. I mean, it was magic. Do you know why? Because it took his mind off the pain, right? It took his attention. Did you know that your attention shapes your perception? I, I knew a guy a few years ago who told me this story. He and one of his buddies were driving across the Midwest, If you've ever driven across the Midwest, you know it's like spending 12 hours on a treadmill. It feels like you're moving, but nothing changes. 
Um, they were driving across the Midwest. They got to the state of Wisconsin, drove all the way through the state of Wisconsin, got out at a rest area, you know, went and bought snacks and used the restroom, came back out to the car, and he says to his buddy, hey, thanks for driving through the whole state of Wisconsin, man. I appreciate it. And his buddy looks at him and says, I didn't drive through Wisconsin. You did. <laughs> to this day, they don't know who drove through the state of Wisconsin. Why? Because your attention can directly affect your perception of reality, which is terrifying to think of just for the record. This is what Paul is talking about in this text. He starts off this list of what it's supposed to look like for those of us who live in community, that there are these things we're supposed to put off to rid ourselves of, slander, sexual impurity, malice, anger. We're supposed to forgive one another. We're supposed to put on, put on what Christ has done, put on the renewed life, the life that is being renewed, put on the love of Christ, and put off all of these things. But he starts off with something really important. He starts off with set your mind. Set your mind. Heart. And that word there doesn't mean set like set. It means set like set your GPS. Like seek after, pursue, make the preeminent thought that you are intentionally going after. The things of Christ, the heavenly things. Set your heart, set your mind. And then you can put off and you can put on. It's like he knows that if we, if he had started with put off all of these things, then we would have set our mind on the things that we can't accomplish and all the things that we did wrong, and we would never even notice what Christ has accomplished for us. Why? Because your attention shapes your perception. What you have your attention on will directly affect the way that you perceive the world around you. Now, there are two principles that are directly from this text that we need today. The first one I've already said like five times. Your attention shapes your perception. The second one is like it. Your attention holds your intention. One more time. Your attention holds your intention. In other words, if my wife says, hey, we haven't been connecting very well lately, can we just spend some intentional time together talking tonight? and I say, sure, and then I keep playing realm defense on my phone while she's talking to me, then there's nothing intentional about what I'm doing, right? Because she doesn't have my attention. So your attention shapes your perception, and your attention shapes your intention. So in other words, if your attention is not on Christ, you cannot intentionally put off the things of the world and put on the ways of Christ. Now, you might be thinking, CJ, social media is a weird place to start this series. Okay, we're talking about elephants in the room and like, yeah, I know we use social media a lot, but that doesn't seem like a big controversial topic that we should hit in church. So I did some research. If you look up on the screen, there's going to be a chart up there. Now, this chart is the average of the amount of time internet users globally use social media per day between 2012 and now. I'm going to say that again. Global people who use the internet average this amount of social media. In 2012, that was 90 minutes a day. It's an hour and a half. Now, once again, this isn't Netflix. This isn't video games. This isn't screen time. This isn't realm defense. 
so it should probably be included for the sake of this because it's a dumb game that I've been playing a lot lately. You don't need to, you don't need to do it. You don't need to play it. It's not that cool. In the last almost 10 years, the amount of time spent on just social media on average by people who use the internet. So this includes people who don't have any social media. It's internet users, averaged. The average has increased by well over 50%. So that now globally, we average 145 minutes a day on social media as human beings who use the internet. That's two hours and 25 minutes. In the United States, we average two hours and three minutes. Now, this is why that's important. If you've got a friend that spends 30 minutes a day in the Word of God, 30 minutes a day in prayer, or maybe that volunteers three hours a week at a nonprofit, you think of them as incredibly spiritual, don't you? So in other words, social media might actually be the biggest elephant in all of our rooms that we don't really know is there. Because what has your attention shapes your perception. And what has your attention holds your intention. And that hold word is very important because it holds on to our intention. It's nearly impossible to separate our attention from our intention. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor and author in Portland, wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which he talks about living a slow and settled life in the way of Jesus. But he talks a lot about what we give our attention to. And I put some of the quotes up here on the screen so that we can all see them. You might want to write these down. The first quote he says is, Our time is our life, and our attention is the doorway to our hearts. He elaborates. There's one more quote that's up here. This is incredibly important. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. So let me beat a dead horse for a second. Your attention shapes your, percep your perception and your attention holds your intention. Now, here is an analogy that anybody could have thought of because it's very obvious. This is a dirty window that came off of our house when we moved in. I cleaned it a couple times, it's still dirty because my son and I have the same attention span. We're not very good at cleaning things. Social media is not a bad thing. I wanna make that very clear. This could easily sound like one of those sermons where somebody gets up here and is like, if you play video games, you're going to hell and social media is poisoning your mind. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what this is. I'm not telling you you need to delete your Instagram. I'm not telling you you need to set a time limit on your Instagram. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not telling you that TikTok is choking your brain. That's not what's going on here. Social media is a window. It's designed to give you a picture into someone's life, to show someone else a picture, a window into your life. It can be a very, very good thing. And I want to say this as explicitly as I can. Social media is a reflection of human beings that, ha that reflect the creative intent of God. The fact that people came up with a way that we can use the internet to stay connected, to share the gospel, to stay present in people's lives that we're very disconnected from, to be present in issues that are going on all over the world, that is a beautiful, good thing. Human beings are made in the image of God to create things that reflect his image. And social media is a good thing that was created by people in the image of God being creative. Now, 
you don't look out a window and see your neighbor's plumber's crack and think, darn window. No, you think, pull up your pants or close the curtains. Because a window is a, ner- is a neutral, right? If your neighbors accidentally see you rocking out, dancing your heart out to early 2000s Disney music, it's not the window's fault. It's the fact that you left the curtains open, right? A window is a neutral, but it's what you give your attention to through the window that becomes a problem. It's when the window holds your attention instead of what's going on in the house that becomes a problem, that becomes dangerous. Because your attention shapes your perception. Your attention holds your intention. And we have to intentionally set, set the dial on our hearts to the things of Christ. Set the intention of our minds to the ways of Jesus so that our perceptions are shaped by the word of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the ways of Jesus, so that our intentions are held by the word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the ways of Jesus. We have to set our attention. It's incredibly important. The danger comes, and we've probably all seen this, is that sometimes social media feels like a world where the rules don't apply because it's through a window. Right? When I look through the window, it doesn't feel like it's part of my life. It feels like I'm living this separate thing. So I've seen this, you've seen this, maybe you've done this, I've probably done this. Man, sometimes on social media, we will say things to people that we would never, ever in the world say. We would, n- we would never treat somebody like that. But we will argue with a stranger about something that does not matter, or even something that does matter. But we'll just argue in such a way that we would never, in our right minds, We would never in real life talk to somebody that way. Sometimes we will share or read or post things about people that if if it was our friend in the story, we would be sickened that someone would talk about our friend that way. If it was us that was being talked about in another room, we would be deeply hurt. But because it's a stranger or because it's online, or because it was a celebrity, or because it was shared on Instagram, we feel like it's not quite gossip. When you set your mind on Christ, you cut out things like slander. Perhaps the, the most common thing, though, and this, this affects probably all of us who use social media in any way, and honestly, it affects you even if you don't use social media, because we live in a world, and this is why I said at the beginning that we have to choose that the truth is for me, even if the topic doesn't affect me, because the enemy wants your attention, and he will use the stock market, or he'll use your job, or he will use the news, like 24-hour news cycle that makes money based on how much you watch it. He will use those things to get your attention. He will use controversy in your home to get your attention. He will take your attention so it's not on Christ any way he can. It just happens to be that the primary thing that has our attention as a culture is social media. It's it's the window that we're looking at everything else through. But attention is the issue here. But a lot of us, we look through the window of social media to other people's lives. And even though we know no one puts their dirty laundry in front of the window... Even though we know that no one shows the part of the house that they don't want anyone to see through the window, so we know that it doesn't reflect people's full lives, we still spend so much time thinking, how is their family always getting along? What am I doing wrong? 
how come, how come I never look that good? How come, how come I am this far in my life, but everybody I graduated college with is that far in their life? Can I just be honest with you and tell you how often I have spent, I used to be a youth pastor, and I would see teenagers that are in my youth group post something on Instagram, and they get like 150 likes, and I would post something and get 20 and be like, what, what in the world is wrong with me? Can I tell you how many times I've looked at social media and seen f- friends that I graduated college with and seen them speaking at that event or doing that thing or living or going on that vacation and just thinking, man, what am I doing with my life? I'm not doing all that stuff. When are people going to notice me? Your attention shapes your perception. And the crazy thing about it is we all know that it's not accurate, but it shapes our perception anyway. Why? Because it has our attention. Your attention shapes your perception, not just the things that you know. You can know something to be true completely, but if it doesn't have your attention, it won't shape your perception. So where this ends today is simple. What has your attention? Now, I'm not telling you that you need to delete social media. I'm not telling you that that's the answer. I can tell you some of the things that I have done. Uh, I set a timer on Instagram. My wife has the um, my wife has the code so that I cannot look at Instagram for more than 15 minutes a day without asking her permission. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe not. Maybe it's not a problem for you. Um, for me, for a long time, for many years, I did my quiet time in the evenings, and there is nothing wrong with doing quiet time in the evenings. But recently, within the last few months, I've started actually using an app called Lectio 365 to give my attention to Jesus first thing in the morning. Because I realized for me that it was really hard for me to focus my mind, to set my mind on Christ when I was waiting for his word till the end of the day. That might not be the case for you. It might be great for you to do your quiet time over lunch or in the evening after the kids go to bed. The point is not when or what. The point is that. The point is that you're setting your attention on Jesus. Honestly, I... uh, This might be a bad thing for a minister to say. I don't listen to a lot of Christian music. Sorry. I've started on my way to work most days listening to worship music. Why? Because I've realized it is way more easy for me to notice when I get a text or when someone likes something on my Instagram than it is for me to notice the Holy Spirit nudging me in a conversation with someone. I don't really like that. So I want to set my work day, the attention of my work day, on Jesus and on his ways. What has your attention I want to tell you that when Jesus has your attention, and this is what it means for Jesus to have your attention. It means that the goodness and love of Jesus, the work that he has already done, the fact that he has died and rose again for you, the fact that you are loved, that you are welcomed, that has your attention. And when the work that Christ did has your attention, the sin that Christ paid for is put to death. It is choked out because it doesn't shape your perception as much. It's not that we're just happy and joyful all the time, not worrying about sin, but it's that our perception has to be shaped by our attention to Jesus, to his goodness and his character. Our, our perception is no longer shaped by comparison to one another, unjust and ungodly comparison. It's shaped by what Christ says about us and what Christ has done for us. When your attention is set on Christ, it shapes your perception and holds your intention. If you want your life to change, the first place to look is where is your attention. Now, I know that 
with a, com with a conversation like this, you might be sitting here and thinking, ugh, I didn't like that. Or you might be sitting here and thinking, oh, I've got some stuff to change. As I was writing this message, I was thinking about how much time I spend on social media. And I was thinking about all the other things that have my attention that have nothing to do with Instagram. Here's what I want to tell you. We take a topic like this because we are loved by God, because that's the highest truth about us, and because he's inviting us into a better life, and it is a joyful thing to obey. So as we worship today, I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight to your heart what is the thing in your life that you can do to set your heart and mind on Jesus, and what is the thing in your life that's holding your attention that you need to let go of, that you need to cut back on so that Christ can take that place of preeminent attention in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and kind and faithful to us. Your character and your love is the most important thing. We know that we can trust the things that you ask us to do. We know that we could obey joyfully because we know that you invite us into things that are good and kind and faithful and loving because you are good and kind and faithful and loving. And I ask that even now as we worship in response to this, that your Holy Spirit would set our attention and our minds on your goodness and your love and your faithfulness to us. And your Holy Spirit would begin or continue that work of transformation in our lives as we take these moments to give our attention completely and solely to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.